Radio with Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. So happy you are listening today. I am Taylor Johnson, and if you would like to join the discussion, please call us at 1-844-777-7928. That's 1-844-777-SWAT. Or you can email us at ask at SWATradio.com. That's ask, A-S-K, at SWATradio.com. Well, today is Wednesday the 13th. Uh, had a good SWAT lunch today. Doug, how yeah, you been? Yeah, I'm okay. I mean, uh, you know, um, so much going on in our world. Where do we start when we look at uh, <laughs> Superman has come out of the closet? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've uh, noticed that that has been on the news, like in – like. People are putting that out there on news channels. They're putting that in there, like making a deal about that. And I guess uh, the comic books are going woke. I think it was oh, you. Oh, it's, it's it, been going on for a while. Well, but um, I know Marvel, um, which is a huge, probably one of the biggest movie uh, producing uh, money producers in, in movies, mm-hmm. or I'd say in the last, what, 50 years? Maybe ever. I mean, yeah. probably ever. Uh, all the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. they're coming out with um, a couple of movies later um, that have really kind of bummed me because I like the Marvel movies, but they're going to have these LGBTQ characters in there too again. And they've already started doing that in some of their shows. Uh, everything so far for me in Phase Four, I have not enjoyed. Yeah, not yeah. I just it's just really, uh, you know, they're they're what they're trying to do is go back and uh, and just change the design that God made for His creation. Mm. That's what they're doing. They're they're wanting everybody. I mean. If you look back at the number of people in the country who are now, quote, LGBTQ or they, compared to where they were, let's say, 50 years ago, people would say, well, they were there, but they just didn't come out. I would I would disagree and say that there are people who are coming out in their uh, adolescent years now because uh, they're being exposed to this, uh, which is against god's design well yeah and if you look at like uh, specifically uh, the trans issue and if you look at young adolescent females and how it affects them um i think there's a, a strong case to be made that there's a social component big time in in that and oh, that, that would inflate huge, numbers so, yeah. yeah there's a huge social component and uh i just uh they i mean like how does a five-year-old know that yeah. they want to be trans. I mean, or they want to be uh, a boy when their uh, DNA says they're a girl. You know, that. I mean, how do they? How do they know that really at that age? Well, I mean, and to think that that is some sort of intrinsic intrinsic statement of worth that is going to carry with them for the rest of their life is a little laughable when it's the same people who you know say they want to be a giraffe when they grow up, right? Like my little brother when he was five, that's what he said he wanted to be. Uh, but did we say, oh? He's a giraffe now. Let's we got to treat him like a giraffe. We we got to feed him 
you know, leaves and all. No, we, we understood it's a young boy with an imagination. And then you take that, that kids have an imagination. Then you take maybe parents who have certain things going on in their own life and maybe are steering um, thoughts for for certain children into, oh, maybe I am supposed to be in a different body. Maybe I was actually born a boy or a girl when I'm the opposite. And you can see where that would come. But to, to on its face to have a little kid say that and to say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly what he is, is a little bit laughable. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I were talking earlier today about Coach John Gruden. And listen, uh, I, I do not want to condone in any way um, what Coach Gruden said. I don't I don't think it was good, the things that he said. Um, I, I, I think uh, a lot of coaches in the NFL use gut, what I call gutter language. Mm. A lot of players use gutter language. Um, they call it locker room talk, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, I do have a problem with people. Apparently, these were private emails that have become public. And, it's, and we live in an age now through technology that if somebody wants to hurt you, uh, they can, uh, if they have some computer savvy at all, they can, they can hurt you. They can, they can dig up stuff, especially if it's people that you work for. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if they, you make them mad and they want to, and I think that's happening a lot. A lot of companies... Uh, a lot of employees maybe spill information out into the internet. And then once it gets out there, you can't take it back, which is a good lesson for us always to be uh, wary of what we say, things we say uh, even in private to somebody. But going back to what happened, I mean, John Gruden had a hundred million dollar contract. Wow. Over 10 years. And now 60 million is gone. Mm basically because of emails that happened 10 years ago and other stuff that we don't know. Let's just be honest. We don't know. So how do we respond to that as believers? Well, I think first of all, one thing we have to do is we pray for coach Gruden. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, how would you like it, Taylor? If let's say, you know, you wrote me an email and you were joking about something and somebody put it out there and, it's all over the internet, and now you're fired from your job. All your livelihood's gone, and the whole world knows something that you may have said joking, or you, you know, you may have said it, just being your flawed person because mm-hmm. we're all flawed. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people would want their dirty stuff flung out in the open for the whole world to see. And people go, "Well, he's an FF, NFL coach." Yeah, but he did not put this out on social media. He he was talking to people, and somebody put it out. And I just think it's very easy to cast stones at people a lot of times unless they're putting it out there for public consumption. That's a different issue. You know, when you mm-hmm. put something on Twitter or you put something on social media or you write a book or whatever, you put something out, that's one thing. But to go and take something that was said privately – I just think it's a very slippery slope for well, people. I also think there's a huge issue with, um, you, you know, when you, especially the first thing that he said about, you know, a guy having big lips. 
All right. And then to assume that there's racial intent behind that. Mm -hmm. So what you're effectively doing is saying, I know your heart better than you. I know your I know the heart of the person speaking better than they do. And you're reading an intent there that maybe was there. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, he, he said he had Michelin tire lips. Oh, my goodness. The worst thing I've ever heard in my life on the football field. Nothing has topped that. Come on. That like that is not something you have to stretch to say. Oh, he definitely had a racial intention with that. Oh, okay, why? Because Michelin tire tires are black, or are you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the, oh well, you know what? Everyone knows black people have big lips. I mean, he clearly was saying something about somebody. What he have said if he had said about a white dude? Dude's got a huge, huge nose. His nose is gigantic. Hey, are you making fun of me <laughs> over here, Taylor? You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah. To, and then to act like it is the most heinous thing you've ever read randy moss was crying about it on tv like i think he was like literally crying come on it's it's just disingenuous and it to me is to further uh an agenda now he did say some things uh use some off-color language um that i don't think maybe would be no edifying no no but i do want to say one thing too in this uh divided uh culture that we live in right now where things are very volatile, I think people look for things like this yep. to hate on people yeah. or to feel hurt or mm-hmm. hated by people. I think they're in the culture we live in right now, and we got to remember as believers um, th- that as we live our lives, listen, we're all flawed, we all make mistakes, and I said this in SWAT that today that um, – that, you know, when it says love your neighbor like yourself, it means really to love him because he is like you. And I don't think we really think about those terms necessarily a lot of times when we we look at people who are making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't think about ourselves, you know, for whatever reason. We tend to think, oh, well, why is he saying that? I would never say anything like that. And when in the fact, we all probably have thoughts about saying things at times. And Jesus said, if you think it, it's, it's, it's just like doing it. Yeah, and, I mean, we also kind of have a bias towards ourselves. We see ourselves maybe better than we are. And to look back and say, you know what, I probably said some things that were, you know, if not the same thing, probably sounded that way or could have been misconstrued to be that way. Um, and I really think it is a huge problem in our society, like I said, to, that we're legislating other people's hearts. We are saying, we know what's in your heart. And it doesn't matter what you say, and we can take anything you say and construe it to fit our purposes. And I think what you said about um, people looking to play the victim, I think that that is a huge uh, thing, that that victimhood has been incentivized. Um, But also, as far as looking for instances like this, it is to prove a narrative that is being spun, which is kind of sitting on maybe not the best uh, historical or even modern uh, foundations, and so they have to find something to say. This is why we must tear down the whole system and create a new uh, utopia. Really. Well, did you hear about the Virginia school board covering up the rape yes. allegation against a boy who wore a skirt in the girls' bathroom, mm-hmm. and uh, now that boy was charged. It has been charged with sexual battery and abduction. But ABC, CBS, NBC, 
nobody really gave it any coverage. And they used this guy to say, this is why we need to look at these school board meetings for domestic extremists. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely stunning. How, how can they be silent on something like that? That's just so wrong. Yeah, uh, that's definitely not filling out Romans 13 and what the role of government is supposed to be. Yeah. All right, we are up against the break. We'll be back with more after the break. You are listening to SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week. If you'd like to learn how you can support this unique program that is helping men understand the truth about Jesus through God's Word and how to impact their lives and the lives of others, then go to www.swatradio.com. Then click on the donate link to help SWAT Radio pass on the truth for the next generation. We're so grateful for having people like Tom Neal Truck Company sponsoring SWAT Radio. Tom Neal Truck Company is located at 417 Edgewood Avenue South in Jacksonville, Florida. Tom Neal is a full-service franchise truck dealer for Freightliner, Western Star, Volvo, Isuzu, and Sprinter vans offering new and used truck sales, service, parts and truck rental and leasing to the North Florida and South Georgia truck market. More information on Tom Neal Truck Company is located at www.tomneal.com. That's www.tomnehl.com. Look down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touchdown in the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathing the familiar shock of confusion That is Give Me Your Eyes by Brandon Heath Welcome back to SWAT Radio. SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. And if you are just joining us, we are looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 this week. Um, we are looking at the conversion of Saul and on his uh, road to Damascus. Uh, yesterday, we looked at verses 1 through 4. Um, we, we focused primarily on verses 1 through 4. We read the whole text, and we are going to be moving on through the text uh, from there. Yeah, and you know, just a, a quick reminder, as we look this week, which is really a shortened week because Monday we weren't in here, um, we, we are looking at uh, a, a divine invitation. And in, in this, and, and not only in this text in Acts, but also in other places where uh, Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, is writing to churches to share about things in his life and to give them instruction. He talks about this issue of a divine invitation, that it, he was God's chosen instrument. He didn't choose God. God chose him. And in the same way, you didn't choose God. God chose you. You may think you chose God one day, but it was a response to God's leading in your life. Nobody seeks God on their own. He even writes that in Romans uh, chapter 3. And we, as we shared yesterday, we were we kind of laid out the, 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 the principles from this narrative. It's a narrative text, which means it's just a story of what happened in Saul's life. And we saw God calling us to a divine invitation, which is God's sovereignty. We saw a divine mercy in that God opened up 
Saul's eyes to see and then gave him the faith to respond, to yield. And we see man's response. And even our response is a divine mercy from God. And we saw that and, and with Paul and, and Saul, I mean. And then we see in verse 9 a divine relationship, how immediately he goes into prayer and communion with this father. And Saul was not in a relationship with God prior to this, even though he thought he was serving God. And that's a problem with a lot of people who think they're serving the one true God, but they don't even know him. And we know that because when uh, Saul was confronted by Jesus, he said, who are you, Lord? He didn't know him. And if he didn't know Jesus, he doesn't know God. And so uh, we saw that in verse 9. And then the uh, Ananias part of this text, verses 10 through 19, we see that uh, in a true conversion, God calls us to a divine family. You're not just in relationship with God. You're in relationship with his people. And God uses Ananias to channel hope and blessings to Saul and help him through a difficult time. And, uh, and uh, Ananias was a leader in Damascus uh, in the Damascus church there. And God uses him there. So we see this divine family that all true conversions are, are going to display these things, a divine in, invitation, a divine mercy, a divine relationship and a divine family. And so we looked at specifically the invitation part yesterday and uh, God's sovereignty in verses 1 through 4. Today we're going to move into um, Saul's response, uh, and I'm going to have Taylor just uh, read 5 through 19 as we look at a divine mercy, this divine relationship in verse 9, and a divine family. All right. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city. And you will be told what to what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul wrote, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, uh, uh, seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done in your, to your saints in, at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Uh, through 19, am I going on the yes, way? Yeah. yeah, okay. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So, armed with the um, the authority of the high priest, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest believers or followers of the way, people who were following Jesus. It was about middle of the day, and there was this bright light 
many believe like the Shekinah glory, like like the way Jesus himself appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and um, Saul went to the ground as long as, as well as those around him. And he heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, you know, he heard this voice, and yet he didn't know who it was. He just heard a voice. Have you ever been someplace, and if somebody just said, Taylor, Taylor, but you didn't Mm -hmm. recognize the voice, you didn't know who they were, uh, and yet he calls him, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He did not know him, and we talked about this divine invitation that that Saul was not seeking, but how did he respond? In verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? And when Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, and he told him what to do, then Saul allowed these men to take him to Damascus like he was originally planned. Now, I want you to imagine what was going on. Saul was on his way from Jerusalem up to Damascus, about a 130-mile trip, about a six-day journey to walk. And he had a whole host of people with him because he's going to arrest Christians. Now, that's his mission. Saul is is bent. He's been doing this. He is the lead persecutor of Christians in the world right now. Think about that. He is the tip of the spear. Mm. And on this road, he encounters Jesus of Nazareth. And it just changes him on a dime his whole world shuts down his eyes he's blinded by this and imagine what must have been going through his mind at that moment i mean like jesus of nazareth the one that i i probably saw crucified on the cross i mean more than likely saul was around when Jesus was being interrogated. Yeah, that was a question I had for you. How old did you think he was throughout I mean, Jesus' ministry? More, more than likely, he probably was around yeah. during that time. He certainly was educated by Gamaliel, who was there at that time. And here he is persecuting this, quote, blasphemer in his mind. And now he hears a voice and he says, I'm Jesus, the one that was crucified the one who people said was resurrected, but he was trying to stamp them out, the one where Stephen was telling that he was the one as he's sitting there holding the the garments, approving of the execution, uh, dragging off people who were saying that Jesus is the one, and now this Jesus is saying to me, why are you persecuting me? Not my followers, me. Now, that had to rock his world. And we see this divine mercy when he allowed these people to take him to there instead of just turning around saying, okay, let's go back. Take me back. Take me back to Jerusalem. Let's regroup. Mm. He didn't do that. No, he allowed them to take him to Damascus. And the issue with um, Paul was not that he had killed Christians. It was not that he'd haul Christians off to jail. The issue with Paul was he had heard the gospel before through Stephen for sure, and maybe with others who he had persecuted, but he rejected Christ. He rejected Jesus of Nazareth as being Messiah. He never bought into him. He never allowed him to be the one. And do you know 
Paul wrote later in First Corinthians, he says in First Corinthians sixteen twenty two, if you if you don't name the name of Jesus, you're accursed. And so Paul was accursed at this moment, and he he very much. I mean, I I get a picture of Paul being the very guy he wrote about in Romans three, uh, verses ten through eighteen, where he says, "No one calls on God, no one seeks God, no one is righteous, no not one." And he's going through and he's given these very colorful adjectives and descriptions of what these people are. He says their tongues are like have that venom of asp, mm. which is a poisonous snake over there. Uh, and and nobody seeks God. Nobody comes after him. And yet there's this divine mercy that moves Saul to surrender. And really, when he when he surrenders, that's the first act in salvation is surrender. Yeah, You're surrendering to who the Lord is, the fact that he's king and savior. But we in our country have made it about, oh, you just believe in him as your savior. Because it says in the Bible, just believe and you shall be saved. But see, we, we, we take scripture out of context and we're not looking at the totality of scripture. We're certainly not looking at it in a Hebrew context as they certainly were waiting for a Messiah, and that Messiah was identified in Isaiah 52, and he is king. He is king. He reigns. He brings salvation, happiness, and peace, but he is king, and he is Savior. He is Lord and Savior, and we love the Savior part, but, boy, we rebel against the Lord part. We yeah. don't like it. Yeah, and I was... Uh... <laughs> I was listening to some, it's called woke pre- preacher clips. I think and he has like some people who say a lot of heretical things and something that was said in there along with the heresy that she was saying was basically that the only thing that, that there's no worldview of a, there's no Christian worldview. All we really do is we believe that Jesus, uh, you know, died for our sins, but completely missing the full context of the gospel and of who God is, but also of God, of Jesus's Lordship and what we must do as his subject. And being a king, uh, being in his kingdom, mm-hmm. a part of his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, well, when we come back, we'll, we're going to further go into the divine relationship part, which is a big part of that. Too. Yep. So stick with us. We will be back with more after news. We'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Ace Door and Window, as well as a special thanks to our sponsors, Tom Neal Trucking, and a special thanks to Jeff Andrews of Highway to Eternity Ministries. If you would like to sponsor the program, please email us at Doug at SWATradio.com. That's Doug, B-O-U-G, at SWATradio.com. You are listening to SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. We will be back with more after the news. Ren Collective with Rescuer. If you are just joining us, we are looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 this week. 
Um, it is a short week. Yesterday we looked mostly at verses 1 through 4, got a little bit into um, 5 and beyond. Today we're going to be looking at the second half. Um, we read 5 through 19, and that is where we're at. Um, we're going to be getting into um, a divine relationship and a, being a part of a divine family. If you missed any of the program uh, today or if you missed what we talked about yesterday concerning this passage, you can go to www.swatradio.com and click on the past programs link. Uh, there you'll be able to find our full catalog of programs, uh, including this one in about an hour or so. Again, that's www.swatradio.com. And you can also check out our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can check out our uh, SWAT app in the App Store. Well, you know, I, I, I do want to say something about Saul. We, we were talking about the divine mercy. I, I I don't know people that walk outside of a relationship with God that eventually have a conversion process that don't they don't talk about uh, how when they were walking in disobedience they knew their thoughts and their deeds their motives were unclean they knew they knew deep down inside. Um, they, they may not, um, they may not, uh, acknowledge it at the time, but they know, and there's this inner turmoil that takes place. That's why, uh, and you've probably seen it too, with your dad being in the NFL when I was with a, a chaplain doing a lot of chaplain stuff with pro sports teams. Um, you would see guys that had all the money in the world, all the women in the world, all the fame in the world, and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. Because deep down inside, there was something that wasn't there that they knew should have been there. Because I think in the heart of every man, there's this God-shaped vacuum. I think it was Pascal said that, you know, Pascal. Um, and, you know, um, the thing about God is, think, what, think about what Jesus could have done on that road. He had hurt his people. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the king of the universe. The one who created the universe could have crushed him like an ant. But even his, you know, he said, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? There's a lot harsher things that you or I probably would have said to him Hmm. if there were been our family members that he had been hurting like he had. He killed, he was there and helped kill Stephen. And you just see this divine mercy of God. Um, I mean, I, I just think it's, uh, he says, why do you persecute me? And, you know, Jesus, even, you know, when he walked the earth, he did this. He had this uh, ability to ask questions that got to the heart of the matter. Lord, I've kept all these commands. We'll go sell everything. Because cause it, it wasn't about philanthropy. You don't get to heaven by philanthropy. The guy's heart was into his money. Mm-hmm. That was his God. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, he's asking him. I, I'm Messiah. Do you, I really think that maybe Saul probably wondered. I, I, I'm sure. I mean, Gamaliel said, hey, if this is of God, you're going to be found fighting against God. Why did Gamaliel stand up, you know, for, you know, at that moment in time for the right. apostles? Well, There must have been some questioning, and this was Saul's teacher. So here he is. We've got a divine invitation. We see this divine mercy. And, you know, um, 
again, why do you kick against the goads? We talked about a goad being a sharp instrument. Why do you inflict, inflict pain on yourself? And he goes, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Well, uh, he told him who he was. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But, in other words, you can be forgiven. I mean, think about how merciful and divine, what a divine act of mercy that is. He says, but, rise and enter the city. You'll be told what you are to do. You know, you notice that he didn't say, okay, uh, Saul, I want you to pray this prayer with mm-hmm. me right now. If you really believe, then you're going to be a believer. It wasn't about a moment in time for Jesus. He was doing a work in Saul, and it had to happen from the inside out. This is where I think we've gone astray a little bit in modern evangel- evangelism and modern uh, sharing of the gospel We try to get people to pray a prayer when their hearts aren't ready. We try to push people to make an allegiance that they're just not even ready for. They may understand the facts about God, but but they haven't really contemplated who he is, what he wants. Um, He wants us to be part of his kingdom. And we don't even share that part a lot of times when we share the gospel. We only focus on the cross and, and, and Jesus dying on the cross. But you got to remember, the gospels and the Bible, was most of the Bible was written from Jews to Jews, mm-hmm. except for Luke, which was written to Theophilus. But, but most of the Bible was written to Jews from a Jewish perspective to Jews who would have understood it in light of their understanding of Old Testament scripture and their culture. And so it's about a kingdom. It's about the Messiah coming, the one who would make everything right, all those prophecies in the Old Testament. And yet I, I, God does use tracts, little, little booklets that really just, hey, you're a sinner, you know you need. Because what's the bottom line? The bottom line is, we, we need to acknowledge our need for him and his ability to meet that need. That's what the thief on the cross didn't, didn't go into any great theological uh, statement. He just said, Hey, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Have you heard, have you ever led anybody in a prayer to say that? Hey, would you ask Jesus to remember you when he comes into his kingdom? That, no, that, that's not a formula. It was just a story of what happened. And a lot of times when we look in Scripture, we see people take these things and they make them a formula. Okay, I'm going to lead this person to pray just like this mm-hmm. or to say this. Mm-hmm. And we look at Saul, and Jesus doesn't tell him to pray anything. He just says, go wait in the city. What kind of evangelism is that? <laughs> that's God's evangelism because God was in control. And so he goes to the city. He's led, and what we see is this. Now he's in the city, and he's in a divine relationship now, one that he's never experienced before. Verse 9 says that for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So what did God do? First of all, if he takes away your sight, there's no distractions, right? Yeah, and he humbled you. He humbled you. There's no distractions. Why do you think he didn't eat or didn't drink? He was fasting. That's right. 
fasting in our modern culture is a very spiritual faddish thing to do to get God to do something you want him to do. But in their culture, it was always associated with prayer. And normally it wasn't that you said, Hey, let's fast. It was their prayer was so intense. They didn't eat or drink. Mm -hmm. And so here's Saul is now in a divine relationship with God, the father in a way that he's never been before. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know God. Why in John 16, 3, Jesus said, they don't know the Father or me. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father. Yeah. But now he does. Jesus has, has said, go do this. He's yielded to him, and he's communing. He's praying for three days. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, is there any other place in the Bible where three days is significant? There was somebody who was being disobedient, and God spoke to them, maybe got their attention, and for three days they were in darkness. Yeah, Jonah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, Jonah is the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What about Jesus in the tomb? Yeah. Jesus was in the tomb, not for his disobedience, but for ours. And remember what he was asked when the leaders, the Pharisees, the leaders were asking for a sign, and mm -hmm. what did he say? There'll be no sign but except for the sign of Jonah. Wow, now look who he's giving a sign to. Hmm. Three days darkness. You think Saul, who knew the Old Testament, wasn't thinking about Jonah here? I bet you he was, because he was a good Jew. He was a good rabbi. He knew his scriptures. Hmm. And so he's communing with God because prayer is like spiritual breathing it's it's communing with god it's talking to god it's listening to god and listen over in first timothy what paul says uh, when he's talking to young timothy about his experience he says in verse 50 or verse uh, i'll start verse 13 though formerly i was a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent opponent but i received mercy I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, the reason Paul was brought into the kingdom was to be a light to those who have not yet come in. And it's the same for me and you. And so now he's understanding that through a divine relationship. He's had an encounter with God, and now he's in a relationship with God and he's writing to Timothy and helping Timothy understand what he wrote in Philippians 3. Whatever I counted as gain, I now count as lost for the sake of Christ. I just want to know him. And he does now. He's in a divine relationship. So true conversion comes about as a result of a divine invitation where God manifests a divine mercy and brings about a divine relationship and Paul then goes, or Saul actually, now is brought into a divine family. And we're going to look at that when we come back to kind of finish up 1 through 19 
And if people want to call toward the end, they can call if they want to. All right, so stick with us. We will be back with more after the break. Uh, We'd like to give a shout-out to our listeners listening in Virginia at the Lighthouse, as well as in Meridian, Mississippi, listening on WMER. And all of you you listening here locally, 91.7 in Jacksonville, 91.9 in St. Augustine, and 91.3 in Folkestone, Georgia, as well as all of our listeners listening online, uh, wherever you are around the country or the world. We appreciate all of you guys. You're listening to SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you'd like to contact SWAT Radio, the toll-free number is 1-844-777-7928. That's 844-777-7928 or 844-777-SWAT. You can also listen to this program through the WTRJ The Truth app from the App Store or over the Internet by accessing www.swatradio.com. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. Highway to Eternity Ministries is a ministry dedicated to encouraging those who have lost hope and coming alongside those who cannot find peace and are considered unfit for inclusion in Christ's church. They use published works to teach God's Word and share encouraging testimonies of transformed lives. Highway to Eternity Ministries serves as a parachurch ministry that comes alongside churches to share its passion and commitment through spiritual writings, nuances, and experiences to everyone who has an interest in the teachings of Jesus Christ. For more information, contact Jeff Andrews at 904-436-5175. by casting crowns welcome back to swat radio if you are just joining us we are looking at acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 19 we are about to uh, wrap that up for the week if you would like to join our discussion you can call us at 1-844-777-SWAT that's 1-844-777-7928 or you can email us at ask at swat that's ask ask at swat radio.com we haven't quite wrapped up and gotten all the way through verse 19 but we're looking uh, to have that done just about with five minutes left. So if you would like to call in at that time, we would love that if you have questions or would like to have the, uh, join the discussion. Well, I, I just kind of want to finish up here with this divine family thing because Saul's in a bad way. He's blinded. He can't do anything on his own. Uh, he's been led to uh, Damascus. He's praying and now we're introduced to this guy named Ananias, who was a, probably a leader in the Damascus church, and he was instructed to go minister to this new convert named Saul, who he had heard about, that he's praying, he was told. Now, remember, word would word surely would have passed around in Damascus that the guy who was coming to arrest people, he knew he was coming to arrest people. Mm-hmm. 
He said, I'd heard about this man. So certainly they heard about something happening on the road. He's blind. These are small communities. Mm -hmm. And the word travels there. At this time, were Christians and Jews, they were still worshiping in the same synagogues, and then Christians were getting together after well, the Sabbath? Well, I don't or? know that the Christians were in the synagogues. Mm-hmm. They, they might have been. Uh, Christians were getting together to maybe go evangelize in these synagogues, but and that's probably what led to the problem of where they reached out to the high priest and said, hey, mm. we got Christians up here in the synagogues trying to tell people Jesus is Messiah. So they sent Saul up there. But, um, you know, when Saul had been praying and fasting, um, you know, he had prayed before. The problem was he wasn't praying to God because he wasn't, his, his prayers weren't going through Jesus. His prayers weren't, uh, he, he was he didn't recognize Jesus. I believe if Jesus had spoke to Abraham, he would have recognized him. I believe if Jesus would have spoke to Elijah, he would have recognized him. They were pre-Christ, but they knew God. You know, they yeah. know God. But Saul did not know him. Saul was religious. He knew about God. Um, he was doing what Saul thought was best. And so... There were God-fearing people. Remember the centurion Jesus went to? He said, I haven't seen a faith like this in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. There were God-fearing men who recognized who he was. Remember, he said, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak it and it'll happen. He recognized the the authority he had. Saul did not, and he didn't know God. And so he now, but now he has this divine relationship and there's a problem. Because now he does, but everybody thinks he's this terrible guy who kills Christians, and he's still blind. And so God gives a vision to Ananias, and he gives a vision to Saul, a a vision that says, hey, this guy named Ananias is going to come to you, the one he gave Saul, and for uh, for Ananias, hey, there's this guy named Saul I want you to go to. And so he went to him laid his hands on him, and what happened was scales, it says something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see, and he regained his sight. And then it says he rose and was baptized. Why was he baptized? Do you remember what the eunuch said? Hey, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? What was the external baptism a symbol of? The internal baptism of the Spirit. Yes, it, it, it was it was what had gone on on the inside. Uh, and notice what Ananias says. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's when it happened immediately. And then he was, it said he took food. He was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So verse 17 Ananias calls him brother. Verse 19, Saul stays with the disciples at Damascus. God's plan was for him to be part of this divine family. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are a convert to the true one living God through Jesus. 
God calls you to be part of a divine family. There are no single Lone Ranger Christians out there, no single Lone Ranger believers. God calls us to be part of his divine family. And we work together in that family to do the work of our king. And so we see in Saul's conversion, it started with a divine invitation, which all conversions start that way. Then we see a divine mercy in that Saul responded with surrender. Then we see a divine relationship where he's communing with the one true living God and then a divine family. And so, you know, we talked about marks of true conversion uh, in, first of all, Simon the Magician, and we looked at how he didn't have those. He was prideful. He was independent. There was no heart change, and he didn't really seek God. He sought gifts. But we contrasted that with the eunuch. The eunuch was humble. He was dependent. He invited Philip to come in there, and there was heart change. He says, hey, can, hey, can I be baptized? Why can't I be baptized? There's water. And he sought God. He had come a long way. He couldn't even worship in the temple, but he came a 1,000 miles just to keep the feast. This was a man who sought God, not just for what he could do for him, but he sought God for the relationship. Let's look at Saul. Was Saul humble? Yes. God humbled him by mm-hmm. by striking him with blindness and, and asking him why he's persecuting him, but he was humble. Was he dependent? Yes, he had to be led into the city. Was there heart change? Yes, there was. Uh, in, in, in verse 18, um, it says he, were, he was baptized. They would not have allowed him to be baptized there. He, this, this was a guy who was the arch enemy of the church, but there was heart change. And we saw in verse 19 the evidence of that when he went and joined with the disciples because he knew it was going to cost him. Why? Because what did Ananias say? I almost left this out. And this goes in with the last part, seeking God, not just his gifts. Ananias uh, said uh, to uh, God said to Ananias, go, for he, talking about Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There's no prosperity gospel there. If, if, if you are listening today and you've got people that are trying to promote a prosperity gospel, take them to that verse. There was nothing prosperous in an earthly sense about Saul coming into the kingdom, and yet it was everything to him. He said, I, I, I count all this earthly stuff as nothing for the sake of knowing Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, everything I've experienced, the beatings, the stoning, all the stuff, is light and momentary compared to the surpassing value of what's coming. So that's really Acts 9, 1 through 19. And um, next week we're going to look at 20 through 31 at uh, the true conversion, what a transformation looks like. What 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 does that produce in us, that, that transformed process? Like we see all – this is the, the actual – conversion but we're going to see the transformation that takes place next week as we look at 20 through 31 so yeah so make sure you tune in for that i do have a question for you doug the scales um something like scales falling from his eyes is there any sort of um i I mean i've always kind of just wondered about that like why that was added in there you know because obviously something happened right is there any sort of tradition behind that or any sort of 
you know, understanding through scripture of what that's really talking about, or is that just there for, you know, describing what happened? Well, I mean, you know, the one, um, it, it, you know, it could be an idiom. Uh, it could be, um, you know, like just removing the blindness from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you hold on just a second, I'll tell you in the Greek, we'll, we'll look at the Greek real quick. Um, when, you know, if you're, if you're just looking at the, um, hold on just a second. When you're, when you're looking at the, um, the, the, the Greek part of it, um, um, Sorry, I, I, I was looking at the wrong Greek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you look at the Greek, it's easy to get confused. That's why you say it's Greek to me, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, in the synagogues, let's see. It, it, the word um, it, it, the, the word is, I'm trying to see how to, if I can say this. It's, it, it, it's translated uh, like a fish scale or a seed hull. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it's can be used metaphorically. Um, it, it can be a, a thick, uh, layer of skin. It's almost like he had a film over his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, but it's, uh, but it can be used metaphorically. Um, also, um, just saying that it was something that it, he was just blinded. And they it just they fell, you know. They, they it fell from his eyes. Uh, the the big the bigger point of that is that what happened there was he was able to see who Jesus was, who he was, in his need for him. Right. So, it's a good question. Yeah. Hey, just... tomorrow David Weiner, uh, an attorney here in Jacksonville, is going to be on, and uh, love to have you join us tomorrow. He's going to be sharing about spiritual warfare and his own journey in that realm. All right, so make sure you tune in for that tomorrow. You've been listening to SWAT Radio. If you missed any of this program or would like to listen to past programs, please visit us at www.swatradio.com. That's www.swatradio.com. Or you can listen to our podcast by searching SWAT Radio, and you can also download our SWAT app in the App Store. Join us weekdays at 3 o'clock for more SWAT Radio. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT radio is strengthening spiritual